What's the nature of your emergency? morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, joined by a maybe half-naked, maybe full-naked Mr. Ed Hines. <laughs> Ed, good morning. How are you? Pretty good. I'm actually uh, getting a shirt on right now. <laughs> I didn't mean to embarrass you there. Now, Ed, this is your second time. Good morning. This is your second time on our podcast, and I am so excited to have you here because you are one of the most intellectually stimulating people that I ever get the honor to be able to communicate with. So for that, I definitely thank you for coming on. And good morning to everybody just tuning in. We're going to be giving away a grunt-style American Reaper t-shirt that looks pretty badass to anybody who comments the most on this post and our promo post within the next 24 hours. So if you have any questions, please drop them in the comments. And if um, we can't get to it here live, then I'll make sure to tag you on any of them. And the reason why today is such an important episode is because there is so much going on politically. And Ed, you and I were just chatting before we hit that live button and we were discussing, of course, everything in Ukraine, the level of propaganda and just some of the, the key points that we're gonna be talking about based on your experience and your education. So can you, good morning, everyone. Can you just tell the listeners a little bit about your background and why you're qualified to be able to speak on this? Uh, conflicts generally follow the same pattern uh, as, as other conflicts because we don't, we don't learn very quickly and what you can apply from one will not apply to another. Um, I served in uh, the Marine Corps for about 10 years as an infantryman. Uh, I've done special operations work. Uh, while in college, I did work for uh, the CIA's uh, some ana analyst work. And uh, other than that, <clears throat> that's that's uh, I have a master's degree in Homeland Security Management, um, as well as a bachelor's degree in uh, history. So I, I have a, a decent a decent bedrock, I would say, of, of knowledge. And, and and experience uh, in those matters, uh, and, and I've seen I've seen a little bit behind the curtain what happens, how things are handled in the media, and I'll share a story with you um, to to kind of give you an idea of of how they operate on a routine basis in the media, so that you know kind of what to expect, uh, at least to some degree, about when news stories are broken. So. <sighs> Well, I'm really excited for that. And of course, thank you so much for your service. Good morning to everybody just popping on. And Ed, can you talk to us a little bit about, let's start at the beginning, because a lot of people, you know, you just hit the nail on the head with regards to the way that media presents information. So can you walk us through a little bit of education that that we should know in terms of how things have led to this point? And then maybe we can just kind of go from there on what to expect and um, just your experience with combat and how long conflicts typically play out. Conflicts can conflicts can play out well past the original intent. I mean, look at COVID. COVID, we were told originally two weeks to flatten the curve, right? And here it is two, two years later. Okay, that that's hardly a, that's not a planning miscalculation, okay? When I was in um, the hospital, a naval hospital in Balboa, there was an incident. We all got pulled into MCRD um, San Diego because I was on the West Coast. And uh, if you were in the hospital at that time, you fell under uh, the, the recruit depot. 
for San Diego command wise, like they were in charge of you overall because everybody has a command they report to, even though you're at the hospital. Well, we go into this room and this young, attractive female captain walks in. She's a Marine and she's in a she's a lawyer, a JAG attorney for the Marine Corps. And she goes, look, I just got, you know, two or three questions for you guys here. She's like, do you want to live off base? And it was like a couple other questions. They were real simple. She's like, if you don't, she's like, go ahead and just sign these these legal waivers and then you're good. To, you can go back and then, you know, that's it. Nobody's in trouble. And I was like, what's all this about? So I signed it and I was handing it into her. And she goes, in a couple of days, a story is going to break about black mold in the hospital rooms at Walter Reed. Now, I remember when that hit the news, it was a big deal way back in the, you know, some years ago. And apparently some people were getting in trouble over. I don't know what happened, but before the story broke, we got to hear about it. And then sure enough, about uh, like three or four days later, it hit the news. So what you're hearing about is has already been. It's already happened. And there are there's already people that are on the 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 tasker of handling it before you ever get to see it. So it's kind of like you're getting you're getting news that has already been uh, given to somebody else. You're hearing about it after the fact. That doesn't mean that they're not allowed to release it. It doesn't mean that, that you're not allowed to know about it. It just means that by the time you hear about it, somebody's already been working on the problem for you know, however much time. And I don't know how long it, I don't know. I don't know how much time they get before between the time it gets released and the time they hold it. Right. The time the story breaks and the time they, they, they release it. So I don't, I don't know, but with regards to Russia, Russia's ambition seemed to stem from getting its oil to market. That's what it seems to stem from. Right. And the reason I say that is because they have three avenues to do this North St. Petersburg, which is a cold water port. They can go overland through the mainland directly from Russia to Europe. That would take them largely through Afghanistan, which explains their presence there in the 80s and also the fact of why it was such a big deal for us to be there for two years, two decades. And then they can go south through the Black Sea, which explains their annexation of Crimea and their invasion of Ukraine. Okay, Uh, because the Black Sea is a warm water port, which means that it's not frozen year round. So what this means for Russia is that if they're going to get any of their oil to market, they got to go through the one of those three ports. Well, St. Petersburg is expensive and they can't do it year round. And any goods they ship to market from St. Petersburg, they have to tack on additional expense because they have to break the ice. It takes more time, et cetera, et cetera. Afghanistan, they can go that way. And it's probably the quickest route because it could just be a long drive. But again, it's a drive. They're shipping it over land. And when you tend to go through the mountains, it gets a little more rigorous. And the third option is through the Black Sea, and they could ship it through tankers. That might be a little better for them. Now, that being said, everybody's aware that there was a conflict. I don't know if it's still going on in Syria. Well, one of the reasons for that is geopolitical pressure on Russia. Syria has had and still maintains, as far as I know, a naval base uh, in that region because it has access to the Mediterranean. And, or excuse me, Russia has a naval base there, like a military agreement with the Syrian government. So this is kind of – this will give you some context, I think, as to why Russia is doing what Russia is doing. Um, it's, not, it's not an insight into his brain. It's not, um, it's not an accurate 100% assessment of why Russia is doing it, but it will give you at least some idea as to the motivations as to what's going on with Russia. That coupled with the fact that you consider that the current president's uh, 
relationship or family relationships have had dealings in the Ukraine. Uh, there's there's a there's there's an economic interest there. There's there's all kinds of things that can go on that are going on behind the scenes that are all contributing to this. Um, it really is about oil competition. And then now you have somebody like Biden who's saying, in effect, let's, you know, he's, he's going around with hat in hand, begging these other countries to use their oil. Well, if you're a country and, and the people are like, well, why don't we open up our own? Why don't we open up our own oil pipelines? Well, if you've ever seen the oil pipeline network from Canada to the U.S., which is where the Keystone Pipeline was, it's basically a large network of pipes. I mean, opening that one that one additional pipeline is not really going to change much, right? But it would help. I'm not saying it wouldn't help, but at the other at the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of like a drop in the bucket. Now, strategically, we produce oil. We are an oil producing country between the Gulf, between Texas, between Alaska and any other oil reserves we haven't yet found. We produce oil, but we don't sell it, to my knowledge, at least not a lot of it. So what's the deal? Why why are we going to these other countries if we could be oil independent? Well, it, it's basically a cutthroat reason. You use everybody else's first such that when they run out, then you use yours. Now, this is a balancing act. Okay. Because if they run out, then they all convert to get off of oil. There's no guarantee that they're going to have to stay using our oil. But as for the conflict, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a concept that 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 hits the United that hit the United States, and it and it still continues appear it appears to to continue to to hit countries today, and it's called mission creep, and it's one that they worry about in briefings, and it's one that they hit in Afghanistan. Well, the, the idea behind us going into Afghanistan was to get bin Laden, right? That was, the, that was the central idea. And as soon as we got bin Laden, um, then they said, well, why are we here? Well, then the next couple of reasons that came out were, in my opinion, as far as I could tell, one was to put geopolitical pressure on Russia for the oil reason. Two, the pharmaceutical industry, because at the time, opioids had not yet been outlawed, or at least not outlawed, but not clamped down on like they are today. One of the finest growing areas for opium in the world, there are two fine, great good areas. One is Turkey, and the other is Afghanistan. And the third was, of course, bin Laden. Well, once you got bin Laden, we struck that reason right off the table. And that, that alone took 10 years to get him. So there's a decade of involvement of, in Afghanistan right off the bat. And then he tack on another decade between the geopolitical pressure excuse and the uh, the opioid excuse. Well, then, as soon as we got bin Laden, then Trump gets into office. Trump gets into office. He signs an executive order clamping down on the opioids. Once that happens, what's your next reason? How long are you going to stay putting pressure on, on Russia? How long can you stay? How long will it, can you stay before it becomes not, not as much of a benefit anymore? It's a diminishing return. So this move is kind of, I would almost say it's a consequence of Afghanistan. But again, I'm just, I'm thinking outside the box. This is just from what I've read. I am by no means, you know, I don't, I don't have a doctoral thesis on this stuff out there. It's just what I'm observing happening from things that tend to stand out in, in the news as far as, uh, as far as news incidents go. So I don't, I don't really know kind of what, um, what they have planned. 
I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know that we have people that that work diligently in the intelligence community to make big wars into small wars. But other than that, uh, that that's that's the assessment as I see it. So then how do you see this playing out then based on your experience and education with understanding how long conflicts typically do run themselves out? What can we expect or anticipate? Um, for Russia, it will plan. It will pan out much like the other conflicts have, uh, where it was involved in Chechnya, it where it was involved in other regions. Um, I don't think wars are going to look like they they do. Um, large conventional units might be deployed, but it won't be this titanic World War II battle. People are saying, "Oh, it's going to be World War III. I don't see that. <clears throat> I think Russia's going to they'll try to annex the Ukraine. Um, it'll bog down in the fighting. They'll be there for years. And in the end, they'll go back to whatever territory they own. I could be wrong. Maybe they will take over the entire Ukraine. Maybe that will be the fate of the Ukrainians to be become part of the Russian Federation again. But I don't. I don't see that. I think that Russia got what they wanted. They got their Crimea. They got their their warm water port. They got access. Now they're going to link it. And once they got that, they're good to go. Um, and you can see if if any of the propaganda is to be believed, the two efforts, the one in the south and the one in the north by the Russians, by the Russian military, uh, appear to, to lend credence to this. And the fact that the one in the north wasn't very successful, it, was, it wasn't doing very well, it wasn't advancing very fast. It appeared to be made up of guys who thought they were basically the Russian equivalent of reservists who thought they were on a training op. And when they got into the country, they ran out of fuel and ammunition, didn't know why they were there, thought they were on a training op and then found out, hey, we're actually at war. What the fuck? So but when you go south, then apparently it's it's all their hardcore units are Spetsnaz guys. They're their alpha group, all those kind of guys. So. Uh, and that appears to be going much better because that's uh, that's the more that's the strategically more important. I guess you could say the crown jewel for the russian effort in 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 the ukraine uh, historically the ukraine served as the breadbasket for the soviet union and they suffered a whole shitload historically in the 1920s i believe 1930s there was a group of farmers in, in the ukraine that were referred to as the kulaks well as soon as serfdom ended in in russia after the communist revolution um these kulaks were actually able to get ahead a little bit they were able to own some land and maybe have a donkey and maybe an employer, right? But at that time, they were that was considered wealthy. Well, what happened is under communism, they ro they rolled in and they said, "Oh, you oppressed somebody to get that, so we're going to take everything away from you and throw you in a in a gulag." And so they did. Well, what happened was is they ended up killing these farmers. So what happened to the farm? Well, the farm was turned over to the bureaucracy. Well, bureaucrats don't know anything about farming. So what ended up happening was none of the none of the farms actually produced any food and people starved to death to the tune of six million starved to death. Now, if you've ever seen what happens to kill somebody by starvation, it takes a lot. It takes a long time. It's a very, very hard way to die. It's worse than burning alive. Um, and so it's they starved six million people to death in an event called the Holodomor. And. Um, that kind of gets glossed over in history when when you talk about the the holocaust but it happened before the holocaust and and russia seems to get a free pass on it uh i don't know that that russia's going to pull anything like that 
again. And I don't know that they actually need to worry about farming this time around because of the way science works for, for growing food these days. And because of the fact that you can basically grow as much food as you need by just building artificial structures, right, to protect against the elements and stuff like that. But again, it's much more expensive. Um, and I don't think that that's why they're invading the Ukraine. I think they're invading the Ukraine for access to the Black Sea. Uh, but it 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 could very well become very easily become a, a multi-decade conflict with no end in sight. So talk to us about China's involvement then, the the activity and movement going on with China as it relates to this. China's been quiet as far as I can tell, at least anything in the news. Uh, they haven't done a single thing. I think China's watching and waiting. They're watching and waiting to see what we do. Um, China's not dumb, but China has a problem. China's problem is is the same as the Soviet Union, is the same as Russia's. They're borrowing from the same playbook, at least it appears to be. And that playbook is left over from the Cold War. Now, they might change a few things here and there. It's like, okay, it's the same sneakers, but they're, okay, we changed the laces. They'll never suspect it. You know, and it's like, yeah, but it's the same damn shoe. Okay, so, but <clears throat> what appears to happen with that is that China is, China knows as soon as it makes a move militarily, it's going to look bad. They're going to take a PR hit, right? And and I don't know how far they're going to be allowed to go. I think most of the fighting in the interim is going to be um, very minimal. It's going to be u small units that are spread out, that are doing raids, ambushes. It's going to be that kind of stuff, asymmetrical warfare. They talked a lot about hybrid warfare. Hybrid warfare uses psyops, propaganda, cyber warfare, hacking, sabotage assassinations maybe small guerrilla armies moving into play stuff like that you know stuff that's meant to, to wear down and degrade uh an opponent before you try to move in with the knockout punch or you may not you may just try to rely on that as your as your main effort but that's essentially the the the, the phase that we're in right now from uh, as close as i can tell as, as far as i can tell uh we don't appear to be in a in a in a, you know, yeah, Russia's going to, you know, it's like, great. Yes, they sent divisions of men, you know, into the north of the Ukraine. But that doesn't really hold water when you when you think about the fact that they're running out of fuel, they're running out of ammunition. They don't even know why they're there. They don't want to be there. That's hardly invasion material. You know, it's like, you know, and I, 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 I don't buy that the Russian troops aren't more dedicated. Uh, I think I think if they had the proper cause, they would definitely be um, a lot more dedicated to their 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 military effort. So, so we had discussed briefly before we hopped on here that you do not believe that the U.S. should get involved, and yet you believe that China is waiting on Americans' move if we do make one. Why do you think that Americans should not get involved? It's too early. It's too early and there's nothing to win. There's really nothing to win. What are we going to win? One of the reasons why military creep happens, which I mentioned earlier, uh, the expansion of a mission beyond its original intent, is because you have no mission. When you have no mission, when it's open-ended, anything is the mission. Literally. Look at Afghanistan. It went from getting bin Laden. Well, as soon as bin Laden was captured, we should have been gone. But no, we stayed another, what, 10 years? 
Why? Because other reasons got added on. It's, it's like giving somebody a blank check to say, yeah, sure, I'll stay over here and fight for as long as you want. It's not the way to conduct a war. If a war is conducted properly, and, and there's only been a handful of them that have in the, in, in, in the recent in memory that I can think of, they're not going to last 10 years. They're not even going to last a year. They're not even going to last a month. I'll give you an example. Two examples, actually. One is the Six-Day War or Seven-Day War that was in Israel between Israel and I think Egypt, if I recall correctly, literally the war lasted seven days. And then there was the Persian Gulf War with the United States. Now, unless you count the air campaign, which was about a hundred days, roughly, the ground campaign was only a week and it was over. Why is that important? Saddam's army in terms of men, materiel, just like sheer numbers and size, not talking about strength right now, they were number four in the world at the time. It was an enormous army. Definitely enough to destabilize the Middle East if he decided he wanted to. So after about 100 days, that was all over. He was number 22. Okay. So that's a huge, huge knockdown. And then, of course, we went after Saddam because, well, he's he, he was not a, a stable individual. He got his start in politics at that time uh, as a hitman for the Bath Party. That was how he got started. I mean, most of us that get involved in politics will start, you know, working the polls as a volunteer. no, no. He started by killing people. So, uh, you know, politics over in that part of the world, outside the U.S., politics is a full contact sport, right? You come in with with the guns and the knives out. You don't you don't run, you know, for political office, you know, innocently, you know, while sipping wine. That doesn't happen over there. So uh, I think I think we should wait. We should wait and see what China and Russia do. Um there will be plenty of time to check their aggression in the meantime. Um, these countries, I think arming the, the people that are fighting them is the way to go. Let them fight for their own countries. Give them the tools they need. You know, you've been hearing a lot about the Javelin missile. That part is true. The Javelin missile is extremely effective against armored vehicles. I fired them. Those things work. I mean, they'll, they have two modes of fire, basically. And there's like if you look at the at the weapon system online, it looks like a little camera that the guy's holding with the missile attached. Mm -hmm. That missile sits on your shoulder and then the camera, you detach it whenever you fire a missile because that casing is what holds the missile. And then you take it, you discard the the casing and then you put it, you put on a new missile. Um, first off, it's fire and forget. There's no wire like a tow missile. OK, and the fire and forget mechanism. What it does is it takes a picture of the target and it programs the missile to look for that picture. And then it gives you the option. You can either strike dead on like at a, at a specific point on the on the vehicle from the side or the profile, or you can program it to strike from the top down so it can come down directly on top where there's very thin armor on a tank. <clears throat> Your choice. So you do all that. You click, click. It's a couple of clicks. You fire and then you you run you're gone that's pretty badass i mean it's, it's before, yeah before we wrap this up i know we're running out of time here Ed. i just have one question just for clarification purposes that i can't seem to understand with the current conflict that's going on because you had made mention that we should just wait and see how all the chess pieces start to move around the united states before we think mm -hmm. about getting involved outside of 
arming these countries with the equipment that they would need to be able to settle this dispute on their own. And I get mm -hmm. that. And my question is, the research I've done, the pipeline, the pipeline that was once Biden came into the, the administration um, mm -hmm. halted, right? Like they shut, they shut everything down. Right. Apparently we could have withstand, withstood 200 years of oil production just with that single pipeline in the United States. So then Biden comes in and we shut all of that down. We're no longer producing our own oil, which I think was a ridiculous mistake. And you had mm -hmm. said that as Americans, we have nothing to gain in getting involved in this conflict with Russia. So mm -hmm. right now we're we're bowing down at the knees with the gas pumps every single time that we go fill up our tanks because of that resource that we are getting from Russia. That is, it's, you know, $7 almost here in California, a gallon. I know so, it's getting high. Yeah. We, we do have that to gain. So my question is there's, there's that dispute of, okay, do we not get involved and we wait, for this resource to become even more astronomically high. And right. why aren't we just allowing ourselves to utilize that resource that we have available to us within our own country and have 200 years to figure out, you know, what to do when we do run out of that resource? Resource, man, first off, we assume it's 200 years and we're told it's 200 years. Remember what I said about propaganda being thick and heavy? It's going to be thick and heavy everywhere. And it doesn't just apply to militaries. Like, for example, there was an article I read about a gentleman. He had written about how much physical currency exists in the world of U.S. currency, like the actual physical dollars that you hold in your hand. He estimated between one and two trillion, but we don't know. It would be a state secret. Now, of course, uh, there are probably people who do know, such as the Federal Reserve, but you and I won't know. It'd be a state secret, just like you don't know the 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 formula for producing the ink that is used on money. It's a state secret. You don't know. You can speculate. There's probably people that have written papers on it that are very well reasoned, but it doesn't make it true because you won't know. You won't. And that's the that's the nature of it. So think of economics as something like war. If you go around to Russia and you say, well, or if you open the Keystone Pipeline and they say, oh, well, for two, by that logic, the Keystone Pipeline, if, if, the, if opening the Keystone Pipeline would, would provide us oil for 200 years, then what about the, go, go look up the, the, the pipeline map that already exists in the region of the Keystone Pipeline. It looks literally like a giant spider web spread across the entire northern American-Canadian border. I'm not kidding. It looks like, like roads all over the place. And then, look, and then the proposed Keystone Pipeline was one pipeline that was going to be added to all that. And you're going to tell me that one pipeline was going to provide oil for 200 years. I don't think so. Uh, they want to keep adding pipelines to increase the flow of oil, but the oil's coming from somewhere, right? Chief rule of, of economics is to use your opponent's stuff before you use yours so that when they run out, then they're gone. Uh, I don't like to use pop culture to reference something very often, but I think it's, it's telling in this. Uh, there's a movie called Syriana with Matt Damon, and uh, he was like, a, like an energy analyst working in the Middle East. And there's a scene where he's standing with this prince of Saudi Arabia who's funding terrorism, coincidentally. 
but he also has anti-American sentiments because he wants to democratize the Middle East. And they're standing in this, this office building, the skyscraper, and they're looking at all these oil execs sitting around a table talking behind a glass wall. And the prince is looking into the room, and Matt Damon's behind him. And as he's looking in the room, he's like, look at them all in there. What are they thinking? Matt Damon looks at him, and he's kind of like, what are they thinking? They're thinking it's running out. And 90% of what's left is in your country. So go ahead. Keep spending $50,000 a night on hotel rooms and and you know $250,000 on cars. But don't use it to build a real economy. Don't use it to build a real infrastructure. Because when it's all gone and you have nothing left and you're back in the desert cutting each other's heads off in tribal feuds, you will have squandered the greatest natural resource in history. That's essentially the, at the heart of what is going on with oil and why there's all this talk of energy independence. Could we be energy independent tomorrow? I think we could. I think that, that the, I've, seen, I've seen how research is really conducted in laboratories by big com- companies and corporations, and I have no reason to doubt that we could not be energy independent in the next hour. It's just there's been too much money thrown at it. And I'll give you an example of that, and I'll leave you with this. During World War II, when the atomic bomb was being looked at as a, as a viable weapon, uh, Albert Einstein and a, and a bunch of other physicists of the day, like Niels Bohr and whatnot, were consulted. Einstein didn't build the bomb. He didn't help build it. He was consulted on the feasibility of using atomic energy as a weapon. Einstein replied back in words, and I'm paraphrasing here, that basically, yeah, you could do it, but it would take you 10 to 15 years to get it done, and by then the war would be over. The U.S. did it in just under four. Hmm. Now, this is at a time taking a technology that was entirely theoretical at the time. We knew nothing about atomic energy outside of the classroom and outside of theoretical physics. We took it, and we produced it in just under four years. Now, you're going to sit there and tell me that you really don't think that if we put that kind of effort behind it, that we couldn't have cars that were running on happy thoughts and unicorn farts? That's not the way the world works. I know that you were told one thing, but that's not how it works. If you threaten something enough, trust me, it's going to respond, and it's going to respond terrifyingly efficiently. So... I've seen how research is conducted at universities. I've seen how it's conducted in laboratories. It's usually there to butter bread for an extended period of time. That's what it's there for. They got to make a living too. And you don't make a living by giving somebody this gee whiz golly wow thing. Mm-hmm. Elon yeah. Musk knew it. Elon Musk knew it. He just didn't have enough money to throw at it. That's why he said we got to open the, the keystone. Why? Because something was going to fund his research. Oil funds everything. It's too tied in to, to everything. You know, and oil doesn't just fund fuel is the thing that we we think about when we think about oil. It's the one thing that jumps to our mind, but it's not the only thing. We make a lot of stuff out of out of petroleum, tires, rubber, plastics, everything you can think of that uses petroleum as a base product is used by oil. Um, or excuse me, is made with uh made with oil. Uh, and again, it might be a drop in the bucket when you think about it compared next to next to fuel. But is it running out? More propaganda. We don't know. You're not going to be allowed to know, but it has the effect of thinking, oh, crap, it's running out. What are we going to do? 
Okay. Yeah. Look at look at the effect. Don't look at don't look at what they're telling you. Look at what the effect is. What is the effect? What is the response? The immediate emotional response is, oh crap, we're running out. What do we do now? Oh, we go to war. Well, that's not a friggin' solution. It it's a solution, <clears throat> but it, it may not be the solution. Yeah. So yeah. That makes that makes perfect sense. And I thank you for explaining that. We we have one question I want to wrap this up with. I'm not sure who asked this, but um, I do agree we should sit back and wait. What do you think would be the breaking point in which we did get involved? The breaking point in which we get involved is if you start seeing the rate of invasion pick up. What China and Russia appear to be doing right now is they appear to be looking for very, very key localized places. This immediately says to me that they don't have the ability to project their forces. They're doing very calculated, very careful moves, right? Everybody was talking about how many people China has and how many people could bring to war. That's great. China could have 6 billion people to bring to war, but you got to get them to where the fight is. There aren't enough ships on the planet to get China where it needs to be in the United States. It is. There isn't. And once they get there, how are you going to feed them? Live off the land? Most people don't know how to hunt anymore. So what are you going to do with 1.6 billion people in your country? Even if you put, even if you put a billion of them in, in uniform, give them a gun and one bullet each. It's just logistically, it's not sound. Now, can they replace people indefinitely? Sure, but people isn't your problem. It's 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 logistics. After World War II, what we found was they started asking questions about why we were able to defeat opponents that were so well prepared like germany and japan in world war ii when we came in late with a military that wasn't really up to snuff and the answer was basically logistics logistics is what makes the difference in war supply stuff things guns bombs planes tanks bullets food water band-aids uh yeah so i think that that China and Russia were waiting to see what they do. I don't I think the tipping point, the thing that you need to look for, well, one of the things you need to look for, and whether it occurs sooner or later, I don't know the order of let's call it the order of battle, but look for an expansion. When the war gets bigger, when it starts getting when it starts to operate outside of its mandate. When it starts to go into other other countries, when it starts to take more and more and more, when it starts to affect more of an economy, uh, Russia wants, as far as I can see, Russia wants to get its goods to market. That's what it wants. It is aggressive, but it wants to get its oil to Europe so that it can make money. And that's its big moneymaker, right? Um. I don't see a problem with that, but it's a problem because I think the United States wants to do it, wants to start exporting exporting its oil to them. Um, Europe is a is an economic battleground, as I see it. So, I think what would cause World War Three, it would have to be something a lot more serious than economics, hmm. like it would have to be a massive. It was ultimately economics that caused World War Two. Hitler was threatening a lot of, of individual um, individual financial investments of a lot of major firms over in Europe, both in the, in the UK 
and in mainland Europe. And so getting involved in that was was viewed as a um, a necessity to protect it or to at least bolster it. And um, once that happened, because he was basically nationalizing everything he touched, that was more or less what Hitler was doing. He'd invade, nationalize all assets, regardless of who they belong to. That I think, at least in my opinion, that that was the big mistake Hitler made. That was the first major death mistake he made, was nationalizing everything he touched. So he invaded France, all nationalized, regardless of who had investments there. Um, and then and they they weren't going to stand for that. Um, one of the interesting factoids, and I'll wrap this up with this, is uh, there was an attempted coup of the United States in 1938-39, a military coup. They were trying to kill Roosevelt. And they sent their they sent a lackey to go approach somebody to lead their forces. Now, at the time, it was the J.P. Morgan and Sons, the Singer Corporation, uh, and a bunch of other smaller entities that were involved in it. Uh, I think there was like a French mercenary group that was involved to help do the fighting. Um, but they needed guys that had real combat experience. Well, at this time, World War One was the last conflict that had just entered the United States. There was a march on Washington, D.C. called the Bonus Army. And there's a book written about it you can read about. And it's literally called the Bonus Army. And it was it's basically about the history of the GI Bill. At the time, your military pension didn't come until at 20 years after you left service. Well, they they were marching because they're like, look, it's the depression. We need that money now, right? Well, they were marched on Washington, D.C. on the National Mall where the big Washington Monument is and the lake and everything there in front. Well, they were marched and camped out there. So the army sent out a bunch of a bunch of guys with tanks and horses and guns and, and broke them up and chased them off the lawn, killed a couple of guys, too. A couple of people died in that in that in that uh, riot breakup or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and one of them, I think, involved was Patton or MacArthur, one one of the famous generals. I don't recall who he was. He was involved in that effort. Well, as soon as that happened, these conspirators had a message that had a meeting and they said, look, they're not going to follow anybody from the army after that. There's no way we need to find somebody that they can respect that, that's going to lead them. So they started thinking, they said, well, what about the Smedley Butler guy? He's a two-time Medal of Honor recipient. He's a Marine general. He's very highly respected by both veterans and and and, and politicians. And they said, yeah, let's bring him on board. So they sent a, a lackey out to go brief him. Butler diligently listened for a couple of days or a day. And he said, that sounds great. Can I bring in an assistant? You can you know, fill him in as well. So that way we're on the same sheet of music. I'll need somebody to help me with all this administratively. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. So he goes to the Washington Post and he gets a reporter and he says, have I got a story for you? He says, all you got to do is sit and write. And he brought the guy in. The guy wrote everything down. The guy told him he asked a couple questions, wrote that down, disappeared, broke it on the front page of the, of the news the next day. It was in the papers for about a week and then it went away. What happened was Roosevelt contacted J.P. Morgan and Sons and the Singer Corporation and all the representatives of the people that were involved corporate-wise did some fact-finding. They did not think that, that democracy was strong enough to stand up to communism, which they saw as the real threat. Communism was the big threat to them. So they wanted fascism. But in order to get a fascist government, they had to conduct a coup. So Roosevelt said, okay, duly noted. Here's the deal. 
You give me a couple of low-level people to slap on the wrist and throw in prison, make it look good in the papers. I'll make sure your names never see a day in the daily news. And you fund all of my presidential campaigns from here on out. And that is how Roosevelt was able to afford all of his presidential campaigns, three of them. And that's a true story. So... This has been an incredibly enlightening interview. I had no doubt that it would be. And Ed, something about you that I didn't know that you do is you actually do consultations on mm -hmm. infantry and ground combat systems. So yep. if somebody wants to get a hold of you to be able to schedule that with you, how can they contact you? Uh, they can contact me either via Facebook. You can find me. I'm actually on Ashley's friends list. Or you can contact me. Uh, I would say email, but I don't check my email anymore because it gets flooded. Um, yeah, just contact me through Facebook. That's the easiest way. Uh, I, Ed Hines is my is my uh, is is the name I use on there. You'll find me. I'm easy enough to find. Ashley is a friend of mine. So just if you want, scroll through her friends list. You'll find me there. You got to earn it. All right. I'm just asking you to put forth a little effort to find me if you want to hire me. So other than that, that's it. That's pretty much the uh, the gist of. Uh, the gist of it, I guess that's, 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 those are my, my two cents on what's well, going on. I appreciate your two cents and thank you so much to everybody who has tuned in. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ed, I will go ahead and tag you. I know there's some questions that we didn't get to here, but thank you so much for your time, Ed. Okay. Not a problem. That was all.